From Nashville, Tennessee, it's the weekly Grace Church Nashville podcast. Feel free to follow us on Twitter at Grace Church Nash and use the hashtag located in the podcast description. And now here's Linda Cooley with this week's message. Anybody engaged here? Anybody engaged to be married? Any, 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 anybody engaged? Where, where, where? Engaged. Another word for useless. Like you're so excited, right? I have had two young men work for me in the ministry that were engaged. They're not there. That's what I meant by useless. They're not there. It's like all they're thinking about is, I go, hey, man, did you get so-and-so, so-and-so? Have you got that all handled? Is everything? Yes, sir. I, well, I, well uh, maybe. Uh, well, I think maybe. No, uh, well, uh, I'm getting married in three months, four days, and 26 seconds. Every time I would talk to him, he would tell me the time, the, how many days, how many weeks, how many hours, how many minutes, and how many seconds until the day. And I promise you, it was the worst experience of my life as someone who tried to work with somebody. Because they are, they are so caught up in being married. A friend of mine out uh, that used to help me with sermons, he's a good, good writer and a good researcher, and I would get research help from him, and he was great. And he, he was engaged, and he lived out in North Carolina. And um, he said that being engaged was, I thought it was interesting. He said it was a great joy, a source of great joy, but at the same time, it was equally unhappy. Because he, he had a long-distance relationship She was in Vancouver, B.C., and he was in North Carolina, and they were engaged to be married. He he said there was great joy in the security of knowing a wedding was coming and knowing that he would get to spend the rest of his life with her. But there was great joy in knowing she had said yes, that she had given an approval of him and a lifelong acceptance. And there was great joy in knowing that he was loved and desired. And that his fiance would never leave him and forsake him. And, and there was great joy in that part of being engaged. But since the two were in such a long distance relationship, like opposite ends of the nation. Getting engaged only made their desire for one another stronger. So often that engagement caused my friend to be unhappy. He didn't like that he couldn't be with his fiancée when he wanted. He didn't like the one that he loved so much and felt so much for and was so committed to was so far away. He didn't like the fact there were so many circumstances that made the relationship so hard. You know you're engaged, but you can't see her. And yet, despite this sense of unhappiness, there was a present joy... Of knowing he found a treasure. He found the one. Future joy is coming. He get to spend the rest of his life with her. And that motivated him to be able to wait. It was joy that was set before him that enabled him to endure circumstances. Until the great day. When he looked down the aisle and here she came. He kept this joy and looking forward to the wedding ceremony kept him from giving up and looking elsewhere to find happiness. To find immediate gratification. 
So being engaged to be married can be both a source of great joy and at the same time, great anticipation. And it gives you a sense of satisfaction in the present and a longing for the future. Are y'all following my thought process? It gives you something worth living for today and something worth fighting for for tomorrow. When you know that a wedding is coming, you live in accordance with the standard of marriage. Or you should. When you know that a wedding is coming, you live in complete commitment to the one you're engaged to. When you know a wedding is coming, we'll find ourselves joyfully sacrificing whatever is required to guard that wedding with our whole life. One thing I've learned is I try to help brides when they're getting married, especially those who have no taste. I try to tell them that the source of the only thing you're going to remember from the wedding is the pictures. And I have friends who were in the big fad in the 70s who wore the big floppy lacy hat. And every one of them has said, what was I thinking? Or better yet, have you seen the 70s where they had the ruffled shirts in light blue? I told my sons, when you get married, regardless of what she tells you to wear, you are James Bond. (laughs) Bond, James Bond. Nothing more, nothing less. Simple, understated, classic, and never goes out of style. No bell bottoms. No ruffles. No floppy hats. You will regret it, trust me, because your children will show your floppy hat to everybody. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Well, I'm here to tell you this morning, there's a wedding coming. We did not get in the kingdom of God to talk about the king. We got in the kingdom of God to marry him. Oh, my, 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 my. We're on our way to a wedding. Revelation 19.1 says, After this, I heard what seemed to be a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power to our God, for his judgments are true and just. He has judged the great whore who corrupted the earth. With her fornication, and he has avenged her with the blood of his servants. Once more they said, Hallelujah! The smoke goes up from her forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God, and, and, uh, who is seated on the throne, saying, Amen! Hallelujah! And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants. And all you who fear him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be a voice of of great multitude, like the sound of many waters, like the sound of mighty thunder pills, crying out, Hallelujah! Remember, Hallelujah is always loud. Hallelujah! It's true. It means to shine. It's noisy. For the Lord our God Almighty reigns. 
Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. To her it has been granted to be clothed with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. This morning I want to talk to you about the joy of being the bride of Christ. And the absolute necessity of joy in a Christian life. And I'm going to talk to you right now where you're wondering where your joy is. I'm about to show you. You came in here dragging, you're going to go out shouting. Understand that I know it's hard for us dudes, but we're the bride of Christ. But we're not yet his wife. We have great joy in knowing that he has said yes to us. And we have said yes to him. So there's this great joy of being engaged. In being a bride. Anticipating a wedding. Like this young lady. And yet our circumstances make us feel like we're in a long distance relationship. At times God feels as near as our breath. And other times it feels like he's on Mars. And the question to ask yourself is this, am I willing to be faithful to the bridegroom until the wedding? The answer is yes. Well, at least we can if we choose. I can't speak for you, but I can tell you for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We've made our decision. And one of those reasons we are able to be faithful is because of the joy that we now have and the joy that is set before us. It's joy now and joy coming. So the first thing we need to do is define the word joy from a biblical standpoint. In the general sense of the word joy, the deepest possible uh, satisfaction that comes from, number one, knowing and experiencing God. Number two, knowing yourself to be loved by this God that you've experienced. Number three, knowing that you're going to be with this God who loves you forever. Joy is a result of communion with God. It's the joy as of a bride who is deeply in love with the bridegroom who asks her to marry him. So the joy, so joy is a way of talking about the entire contentment in God. The deepest satisfaction a human can experience. And I hope that helps you define it. If you don't have the joy of the Lord... I can probably look at your Bible and tell you why. Because you haven't been reading his love letter. Love letters build anticipation. When you don't read his word, you don't know what's coming. And you don't know how to anticipate it. Because you don't know his word. So the preacher tells you the Lord is coming and you're going, that's nice. Read his love letters. They're right here. And it will build anticipation. Find a place of prayer. It will build anticipation. Without a prayer life, I promise you, you'll never make it to the wedding. If you're not talking to your bridegroom, how are you going to know him when you see him? He says he's coming for a bride who has made herself ready. She got dressed. Oh, I could preach a while there. I'm not going to. 
Joy is an indication of the Holy Spirit's presence in our life. The Bible calls the fruit of the Spirit, one of them is joy. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In other words, joy is not something we produce. It's something that is produced in us. It's a thermometer, not a thermostat. You can't create joy any more than you can create healing or prophecy. The joy the Bible talks about comes from God alone. You probably know the devil always has a counterfeit for just about everything God offers. God has placed this longing for joy in our heart and it's, it's made just to be filled by him. But the devil tries to convince us that we need to fill it with happiness. Now, I'm not saying that happiness is evil, but I'm saying that if it's all you pursue with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, it will become evil because it will become an idol. And unfortunately, I love my country, but we are built with an ideology of health, wealth, and the pursuit of happiness. Happiness is built into the very DNA of our culture to look for happiness. How do we attain happiness? Well, in our culture, it's position, money, possessions, the American dream. And by the end of the day, you want to see how much joy you can gain from attaining the dream of America to its fullest. Just go read the tabloids. Show me one ounce of joy in Hollywood. Bill Gates is not real happy right now. Sister Melinda has taken half of everything. I heard he has holed up in solitude somewhere. I heard that she rented a $16,000 a day island to enjoy her happiness. You know the devil is so much smarter than we are. We are dumb. The same stuff keeps happening and we believe it every single time. I'm just shocked at how stupid I can be. This town offers fame if you can land in just the right spot at just the right time. Hollywood is a town that offers fame if you can land in just the right place, just the right spot. I've seen parents sell their children on the altar of fame. Britney Spears was a little girl sold on the altar of Brooke Shields. The list goes on and on and on and on and on and on and on. And as you read the epitaph in the later years of their lives, not a lot of happiness there. A lot of fame, a lot of money, a lot of fortune, very recognized, not very happy. Because happiness is completely an illusion. Show me one marriage in Hollywood that lasts. There, there may be one or two. I doubt many more than that. Show me one celebrity who appears to be perfectly content with all their stuff. You won't find it because the vacuum they're trying to be filled in their heart is it's a hole made for God alone. 
And when God fills it, money and fame and possession are seen for what they are. When God has filled the hole in your heart, you see money and fame as possession as treasures on earth, which is nothing more than fool's gold compared to treasures in heaven. I'm bringing you back to focus here. This is basic of faith. You want to know a good way to tell if anyone, uh, anyone else has joy? You want to know if another person is full of joy? Look at how generous they are. Look at how much they cling to possessions. How much they cling to treasures. What they treasure most. Or to put it another way, look at the sacrifices they've taken in their life. Because joy and happiness both require sacrifice. Joy requires the sacrifice of possessions and resources for the sake of people. Happiness requires the sacrifice of people for the sake of possessions. In other words, to attain happiness, you have to hoard all you can. And to attain joy, you have to give all you can away. So here's the question. Are you sacrificing the time with your family? Time that you could be ministering to people and discipling people for a few extra dollars? Are you spending your last dollar trying to buy the nicest house, wear the nicest clothes, have the nicest car, instead of giving to your church, instead of giving to the poor, instead of giving to others? What are you pursuing? Are you pursuing the joy of the Lord or the happiness of the world? If you want the joy of the Lord, you need to pray the Lord to fill your heart with His Spirit and prepare to start living in a way that contradicts all you've been taught about life and happiness. Because Jesus is the opposite of everything. Any doctrine that's telling you that Jesus agrees with this world is a wrong doctrine. Jesus looked at the wealthiest of his time and said, If you want to follow me, you've got to give everything away. You want to be rich, you've got to be, you want to live forever, you've got to give up your life. What, this, I do everything opposite. Why is it God wants you poor and pitiful? No, God just wants you. He doesn't want anything else to have you. I've been talking about the cost of discipleship. We have lied to Christians and we've told them that you can have God and God and God and God and, but Jesus is wanting just you. And he's wanting to be everything to you. He's wanting to be everything, all of it. If it's, I love the Lord, but I love the Lord and, then you've got a problem. Because the bottom line is when you have Jesus, you have everything. When the king is in your heart, when you are connected to him, all the things you need for life and godliness are already given to you. You don't even have to ask most of the time, but you can and he'll give them to you if you need them. But he'll keep them from you if you don't, because he's a good, good father. So joy is a fruit of the spirit and to produce and to pursue joy is to pursue God. Because joy comes from God alone. And the pursuit of the world's riches is the enemy's way of trying to keep you distracted from finding deep joy and contentment in the Lord. The second observation is joy is not based on external circumstances. In in, uh, Thessalonians 1.4 it says, For we know, brothers and sisters, beloved by God, that he has chosen you because our message of the gospel has came to you not in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of persons we prove to be among you for your sake. 
And you become imitators of, uh, of us and of our Lord. For in spite, look at this, look at this, look at right there, nail that one. In spite of persecution, you receive the word with joy. By the Holy Spirit, so that you became example to all the believers in Macedonia. The point above is this. The bad news is all the world can do is give you a momentary happiness if that's what you pursue. But true joy. The good news is that the world's trials and discomforts cannot rob you of kingdom joy. Of true joy that comes from the Lord. How can you receive the word with joy in spite of persecution? Because your joy is not based on human circumstances. Joy is what carries you through all human circumstances. Joy is what enables the psalmist to say, Whom I have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is my strength. God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I don't leave that up there. I don't know what it is about that particular psalm for me personally. But it reminds me of me as a 12-year-old boy who didn't know a lot about a lot. But I remember I would come to the altar in my father's church and I would kneel right about here. I remember the color of the carpet. And tears would fall down my little face. And I would say, Lord, don't ever leave me. Because if you do, I'd rather die. And every time I read, my flesh and my heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart. And my portion forever. What's it going to take? For God to be your portion. What's it going to take. For you to quit looking at the world. When is he ever going to be enough. When you find him as all. That's when you find joy. When you find him as all. Things have no control of you. People have no control of you. Circumstances have no control of you. Because you know that you are betrothed to a king. And the kingdom of heaven is in you. Oh my my. And you're about to walk into the fruition. The the, the literal, literal door of the king's house into his kingdom. And you never leave it. And everything the king has for the purpose of your life is yours. And you don't have to keep it painted and wash it and make sure that you've invested it properly because it's all the king's. He's your portion. It cannot be stolen. Nothing can take it away from you. Nothing can destroy it. 
that is where the Lord is trying to bring us as his people. Out of church into the kingdom. Out of ourselves into his deep presence where he is everything. Where heaven looks like a better idea than the earth. And that's not just for old folks. My flesh and my heart may fail, but you're my portion. In other words, joy is not when I, what we feel when life is going well. Joy is what carries us through the hard times. What enables us to worship whether we have plenty or not enough. Because the joy of the Lord is my strength. Francis Pierce wife of a great radio evangelist, Barney Pierce, contracted hepatitis C from a blood transfusion. And the rest of her life was filled with battles. This is a perfect recipe for a life of bitterness toward God. I've seen that. Oh, my, 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 my. And you have too. Because I think maybe either we're teaching it wrongly, somehow. The cost of discipleship, we're not really talking about, Randy. We're not really there. We're just telling, come in, come, welcome to the good times. You know, we even sing, there's a song that, don't, don't crucify me for it. But it's just not true. And churches all over the place sing it. And I go, it's just not true. It's got a little phrase that says, you're never going to let me down. That's just not true. I've had the Lord let me down plenty of times. Haven't you? He's never failed me. But what I wanted, what I asked for, what I trusted for, what I believed for was not the plan he had. And when he didn't provide it, I felt let down. So I can't even sing that song. But it's not true. He has let me down. But not really. It's when I wanted something he didn't want me to have. Because a good father will take things you don't need and give you things you do. Don't shout me down. So Francis, through a blood transfusion, got hepatitis C. Recipe for bitterness toward God because the rest of her life would be a mess physically healthy. Her health was in trouble, not at fault of her own. But she remained faithful and was determined to use the opportunity to bear witness to God's goodness and presence in her life. When her health began to deteriorate, she had to be admitted to the hospital. And this is the story that was told of Francis by her family and her doctors. Within a few hours of her death, the doctor came and asked how she was feeling and if he could give anything to make her more comfortable. She responded, well, I'm caught between a rock and a hard place. Christ is my rock. And this hard place is my opportunity to tell the world that no matter how weak or old this body is, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And it's going to take me into the grave and carry me out the other side of the grave. Because joy is not governed by ever clinging circumstances. It's governed by an unchanging God whose spirit dwells within me. That's where my joy comes from. 
My Lord, I feel like I could preach a minute, but I got to let you go here in a minute. I remember, you've heard me say this before, especially if you've been listening to me preach a while. But um, I never really, I didn't think I'd ever get married. <laughs> Many friends didn't think so either. Um, I just thought there was a lot of pretty girls. I went out with some pretty girls. But they always turned horrible. And I thought, this ain't worth it. I can be miserable by myself. You know, I mean, they just get awful. They just... I'm like, I don't want that. Y'all forget it. And I had gotten so comfortable at being single. I was 33. 32 when I met Amber. We got married. I stood right here at the church. Landy was in my wedding and Joy sang at my wedding. Isn't that funny? Gary was in my wedding. I got old friends. <laughs> We've been friends a long time. They're not old. It's just the friends. You know what I mean. I remember standing there and we were in this big church, Brownsville. And the door, lights were all down. I, funny story. Joy will remember this. She's a musician. She'll understand it. I had wanted everything to be so perfect. So I'm very meticulous. You know, James Bond. Got to be James Bond. I went out and bought. I went to Atlanta to Saks Fifth Avenue and bought a tuxedo. Donna Karen tuxedo. I laid down big old cinco bucks. I thought... I, I am not going to keep this woman except for the rest of my life. And I'm going to look amazing. I bought $400 shoes. I bought all the guys in my, in my wedding a little leather checkbook cover by Toomey and a bow tie you have to tie. Now those fakers. Every man should know how to tie a bow tie. Those little fakers are for 12-year-olds. Of course, I'm being cocky. I got to my wedding and realized I didn't know how to tie a bow tie. Thank God for Landy Gardner. Landy tied everybody's bow tie. And by the time he was finished, I knew how to tie my own tie. He said, you want to help? I said, no, sir. I'll do this myself. I remember standing there and the door flung open. I wanted it to be right, though, and and I had a four-piece. I had a quartet that were supposed to play Pachelbel, Pachelbel in canon in D. The first chair violinist, now we're in Pensacola, Florida, we're not in Nashville. The first chair violinist got gravely ill. I'm not sure what chair I got. But she was not in tune. And it was so horrible. I was like, oh, God, help us. Nothing worse than a violin out of tune, right? You know what I'm saying? I'm thinking, she's getting paid for this, and this is awful. We got through it, but when that door flung open, the music and the sour notes didn't matter, the flowers didn't matter. 
Nothing mattered. The fact that my pastor invited 3,000 people to my wedding the week before. Didn't matter. When I saw her, every big happening in my life, the Lord speaks to me. When I saw her, he says to me, I'm standing, I start crying. I'm standing up there. He says, this is how I see you. When that door flung open and that beautiful white dress started down, I was like, oh, goody. I've seen some fat brides. I've seen some skinny brides. I've seen some girls that weren't necessarily beautiful. But I've never seen an ugly bride. When she puts that dress on, there's something otherworldly that happens. It's called the wedding of the bride and the groom. Heavenly. It doesn't matter at that point. Suddenly, it doesn't matter. It was not Amber I was seeing. It was me, the bride of Christ, coming down that aisle. When, I, when Samuel was born, he was delivered into my hands. I was the first human who touched him. The Lord says, now I'm going to show you how much I love you. When my children as teenagers broke my heart. Man, if you got a kid that isn't doing the right stuff, there's nothing in the world that will break your heart quicker. It's, it's like taking your heart out and stomping on it. And you're out of control. And there's nothing you can do. They're adults now. You can't fix it. You can't make it right. You can't tell them what to do. They've got to make their own decisions. And unfortunately, they have to pay the consequences of those decisions. And it hurts your heart to watch that happen. Because you know that they're doing the wrong thing. But you, you've done all you can. You've offered all the advice. And you have to trust the Lord. And release them to the Lord. And he's a good one to trust. He's going to take care of your children. You stand on that. You trust in that. He will do everything he said. But every time I've watched these kind of things in my life, I thought, we're going to a wedding. When COVID happened and everybody was in fear, I thought, we're going to a wedding. When people are worried about because they don't know what's going on in the world, I'm going, it doesn't matter. We're going to a wedding. Amen. We got to get our dress on. We got to get our hair done. We got to get ready. We're going to a wedding. But you don't understand how hard it is. I know. The uglier you are, the more makeup it takes. I get it. Get some Mondo. Fix it. We're going to a wedding. I'm not perfect. That's okay. I'm going to a wedding. And when I walk before the bridegroom, I'm going to be glorious. I'm going to be holy. And I'm going to be seen in his sight as worthy to be there. When Jesus left the earth, he left a powerful church. When he comes again, he's coming again for a powerful church. I don't know, Lyndall, how's that going to happen? I don't either. But you are going to get powerful sooner or later. Mm, mm, that's good preaching. Thank you. If I had a ham and organ, someone who knew what to do with it. Hey, hey, hey. Mm-hmm. 
My third and last observation. Whew. Joy is what motivates us to sacrifice today for the rewards for tomorrow. Remember, the immense joy we can have in the Lord today is still only the joy of engagement. The joy of the wedding is still coming. And this is another reason that our circumstances can't get the best of us. Why? Because all that can be taken from us on earth cannot compare to what will be given to us in heaven. When the Lord is talking about in 1 Corinthians, when he's speaking, the apostle is speaking, he said, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no human heart has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. So let me ask you this question. If you had a rental house that you were only going to live in for a short time, how much time and energy and money would you invest to make it more comfortable? You probably wouldn't do much. Instead, you'd probably spend your time, energy, and money on your future house. The house you plan to live in the rest of your life when your lease is up. Well, I got news for you, friends. This body and your life are rental property. As long as you keep investing in rinky-dink rental houses, you're never going to be satisfied. You're never going to find the satisfaction that comes from the vision of a mansion. The word says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, not on this earth. This isn't just arbitrary command from Jesus. It's practical advice. If you want to invest in a property that you're going to lease for 80 years, or are you going to invest in a life that you're going to live forever? Are you going to come out of the church and become the kingdom of God? Are you going to keep flirting around with the church stuff? Can I just tell you? The church can wear you out. People can wear you out. I promise you they will offend you. I promise you they will disappoint you. Hang out long enough and you won't like me. That's the church. It's a work in process. The church is here to equip us for the purpose of the kingdom. Jesus didn't preach the church. He preached the kingdom. We're talking about a wedding. Oh, my, 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 my. We're betrothed. And Jesus said stuff that offended people all the time. If you want to save your life, you've got to lose it. Eventually, all time will be wasted and all energy and money wasted if we keep trying to make the rental house perfect. Remember, we're in an engagement here. We're engaged. We're headed to a wedding. So the question, somebody got a cell phone? I think I threw mine away after the first service. Somebody got a cell phone? I know you do. Give me yours, Lisa. Thank you, honey. This is a computer in your hand. I'm going to shut it off so I can't see all the stuff you said about me in the sermon. This is not a phone, it's a phablet. 
It's the biggest phone I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> but I understand it because I just had to go buy a big one again because I, my arms weren't long enough. I just kept... Browns of Revival, we didn't have these. They weren't invented. I'm questioning whether we really will be able to have that kind of revival again because of these. Because instead of participating, people be videoing. This is a source of a lot of comfort, a lot of help. But it has a direct correlation with the pits of hell. Young boys have gotten hooked on pornography that they would have never seen without this. We will spend hours a day making sure that we look good to people who don't care about us. Beautiful young girls, these beautiful girls here. Really beautiful girls. You, you're, old, you're older than 14, but if you were... When you were 14, if you posted a picture and you didn't make sure you looked great and your friends go, you kind of look fat. When you do that, it piles on. See, you're built to be rejected face to face. You can handle that. You know, someone says, I don't like you. I don't like you either. I mean, we can handle that. But can you handle a hundred dislikes? And unfriends. No. Teenage suicide, hall time rate, high rate because of this. Your prayer life is not what it should be because of this. Your time in the word is not what it should be because of this. You will never get your dress on. Looking at this. You can't seek the face of the Lord with this in your hand. Cannot be done. You're a creature of habit. I mean, just go to lunch today and watch. Family sitting at the table. Nobody's talking. Y'all notice how stupid that is? What has happened to us? Oh, we're prepped for the Antichrist is what we are. I'm not joking. You're tracked everywhere you go. They follow you everywhere you go. Do you know you can turn it off and they still follow you? I mean, wake up, folks. Oh, he's just ruining gloom. No, I'm just telling you the truth. This is not your friend. Use it like you handle a snake. Very carefully and very rarely. Why? Because this will rob you of your joy. This will rob you of your position. This will rob you of your prayer life. This will steal your confidence. This will make you feel less than. And this will suck your life in it. It's time to get control of these devices. It's time. We're headed to a wedding. The groom is not going to text you. The groom... Has written a love letter. And he wants you to turn the device off and take the love letter into a room and open it up and say, Speak.
O lover of my soul. And when he starts to speak to you, you suddenly go, I'm not what they say I am. I am what he says I am. I'm not going to be despondent because of life. I'm not going to fall into the pit of discouragement because of what's going on. The Lord calls me a glorious bride. I can get my love letter, my copy, and get in my prayer closet, and I can move nations. I can change the lives of those who are lost with just calling on the name of Jesus. I can tell cancer to leave when I call on the name of Jesus. Nothing on that phone can do that. But you'll never call the supernatural world into the natural by holding a telephone. Put it away. Turn it off. You're going to seek the Lord. Turn it off. I remember when I first started pastoring, I had a cell phone and I'd turn my phone off to be with the Lord. And Amber would say, you know, somebody might need you. I said, you know, if they're dead, they won't be any deader in 20 minutes. <laughs> I, I, you're the Lord's people. I got to shut up. This is so good. Oh, it's so good. So the question is this. When the wedding finally comes, are you going to be able to say with the rest of the bride of Christ throughout the ages? Hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt him and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. If you want to reach a place where we're filled with it, we got to be full of the Spirit. Not enough. We've got to have more. We have to seek the face of God in all circumstances and find infinite treasure. Oh, and by the way, one more tiny story. We'll take 30 seconds. There is a man I know who lived to demonstrate the power of joy better than anybody on the earth and in all of history. He was filled with the Spirit and he praised God in all circumstances. And most importantly, his joy was the source of strength and motivation and great sacrifice. In fact, someone even wrote about this man and said about him, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. You know, the bride isn't the only one looking forward to the wedding. The bridegroom, too, saw much joy in the coming wedding day. And he's willing to give his life for that bride to buy her back. Oh, my, 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 my. Have you ever known the joy of the Lord? Have you ever felt the love of the bridegroom? Do you know something great enough to give your life for? The bridegroom is calling. He's waiting for the day to say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. So I'm going to put you in charge of my kingdom. Oh, I just don't know what to do right now. I'm so, I'm just happy up here in my little camo shirt. I'm just so happy. Just so happy. And this is coming from a guy who has literally had moments. Can we have full transparency? And please don't. 
I've had days in the last three or four weeks that honestly, if I let myself, I just sit and cry. And I don't even know why. So my, my Amber said, what's wrong with you? I go, I don't know everything. And I just want to sit and cry. I'm thinking, what is that? Well, I can tell you this. It ain't coming from the Father. Because that's the same thing that happens to sinners when condemnation comes on them. Condemnation is everything's wrong but nothing specific. The enemy works in that level of confusion. When the Holy Spirit's dealing with you, he'll be specific about it. He'll tell you exactly what you need to get right before the Lord. When I feel that overwhelming presence that tries to come in, it's in the atmosphere that just wants to press on you. I think, you know, I know how to get rid of this. I think I'll just go into intercession. So I just start praying in the spirit and I put on worship music and I just walk around the house and say everything God says about me in this book. And I talk about the kingdom of God to myself until it lifts off. And every time it comes, I've gotten to where if it comes five times an hour, I do it five times an hour. Why? Because I'm going to let the devil know that all you're doing is fueling my fire. You're not making, you're not doing what you thought. I'm not going to sit here and talk about suicide and depression. And I'm not, you want to do that. That's fine. But you're just going to fuel my fire. I'm going to declare the kingdom of God every time you bring those thoughts to me. Every time you try to press me, I'm going to bring the kingdom of God and tell you that I'm on my way to a wedding. I've been bought with a price. My dress has been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. I am white and pure in the eyes of my Lord. And I am looking forward to his return and I'm not at home in this world. And part of what you're feeling too is a grieving. You're grieving because the Bible talks about the saints would grieve when they saw the level of sin. You're watching levels of sin that's bringing grief to you. It's grieving you. You can't believe that your nation is at this place. You can't believe your children are at this place. You cannot believe society has gone here. It's a grieving in your spirit. Well, turn it into prayer. And call forth the kingdom of heaven. Because I'm telling you, we're going to a wedding. Thanks for listening. For more information about Grace Church, you can visit us online at gracechurchnashville.com and find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash gracechurchnash. Hope you have a great week, and we'll see you next time.